Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. This episode is presented by Open Snow, your one stop shop for all of the essential snow and weather planning tools. You can save 10 day snow forecasts for any location on Earth, read expert analysis from their team of local forecasters, track incoming storms and recent snowfall with high resolution weather maps, and much, much more. And even better, you can now get a free trial of Open Snow through January 31st, 2024, to check out all of these features. And you will then find out why everyone at Blister uses and counts on Open Snow. So head over to opensnow.com/blister to start your free trial and start using one of our favorite apps. This episode is also presented by Roundhouse Sports Center, which is our recommended shop in Bozeman, Montana. Roundhouse has been a staple of Main Street in Bozeman since 1971, and their excellent gear selection is complemented by their passionate and knowledgeable staff. Roundhouse is also known for its custom boot fitting, and this includes a boot fit guarantee when you purchase a boot and custom insole with them for the first two years. That is huge. First of all, you all know I think that everybody should be skiing with a custom insole. And I also firmly believe, and we always preach this, everyone should be buying a boot from a shop that can do excellent boot fitting. Roundhouse Sports Center is a must stop for anyone looking to adventure around the Bozeman area. So stop by today and tell them we sent you. Okay, Angel Collinson is back for another one of our deep dives with Angel episodes. And today we are talking about an experience that every single one of us will deal with at some point in our lives. And if you haven't personally experienced it yet, well, you certainly are going to, and you will also certainly know people who are experiencing grief. Now, grief is certainly not a topic that we talk about much in outdoor media circles, how to process it, how best to help others who are grieving, etc. And yet, for reasons that I think are rather painfully obvious in our outdoor circles, we clearly need to do this. And what has also driven home for me the importance and the relevance of this topic is the sheer number of questions that all of you wrote in with about grief. And so, in this conversation, Angel is her customary, very thoughtful self, and I now believe that this is probably one of the single most important conversations that we've ever published across our entire Blister podcast network. Because, I'll say it again, even if you aren't currently processing grief, or haven't had to in the past, all of us certainly will. And all of us will know people who are grieving, and I think that if we can be better at supporting those people, well, that's probably one of the most important things that we will be able to do for our friends and family and neighbors. So that's what we're going to be up to here today. And again, thanks to the many of you who wrote in with such thoughtful questions. And now, 
Let's dive in deep with Angel. Here we go. Well, Angel, nice to be back with you here. How are you today and what have you been up to? Awesome to be back too. Good to see your face again. It's been a little minute. Yeah, I'm good. I've just been settling into Boulder. Um, I have been taking a music production course in Denver. So I've kind of been like deep into just music study, music theory, um, working with Ableton and making a bunch of crappy art and trying to figure out how to make better art and just being at the very beginning process part. Very cool. Well, hey, we're diving in because that's what we do here. As you always remind me, it is called Deep Dives with Angel. And this has been very, very interesting. We started talking maybe a couple weeks ago about some of the topics that we wanted to cover and grief was a topic that you proposed. And to be very honest, I didn't know how much people would want to hear on this topic. And you sent out questions to people, as we do. Sometimes we send this stuff out, you send stuff out. Going forward, we're all going to be sending out questions from our, our dear listeners And as you already know, I was shocked at the number of questions that came in around this topic of grief. It actually still kind of blows me away. And so I went from being like, I wonder if anyone will really care about this to actually thinking, holy cow, we clearly need to be talking about this topic now and and perhaps this shouldn't be the only time we talk about this topic. So that's a little bit of a preface of like our work here today. Were you less surprised than me at the response? Oh yeah. No, that's why I brought it up. <laughs> I mean, because you know, you and I were talking about how to structure the podcast in a little bit more of a structured format. And we were like, okay, well, maybe we pick a topic ahead of time and then we can submit questions around that. And I started naming kind of some big themes that I notice in people in my life around the time because I notice what happens in my friend groups and kind of outer circles. It's like people are experiencing similar things at similar times. And um, I don't exactly know why that is, but you were like, well, do you think we're going to run out of like, you know, these topics after a certain time? And I was like, oh, no, (laughs) no, no, this is just life. This is how I live my life. And so um, I you know, I'm fortunate to have a really just authentic relationship, if you can call it that, I guess, with people on my social media account. And I mean, the types of conversations that I have on that platform and in my DMs, it's like, there's very real connection. And so I, yeah, I wasn't surprised at all when we got these questions, but I really loved like meeting on the call today and you being like, oh my God, did you write these? I was like, no, these, no, no. There's like, you know, I don't know how many of them. We could only pick like 10. I don't even know if we'll get through those, but yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about grief today and we're going to try to dive deep. And I guess to get us started on this, I wanted to just define terms a little bit, frankly, for my own benefit, but just thinking about the very basic or fundamental question of like, what is grief? And how do you think about that, Angel? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think 
I kind of want to rewind to what we were just talking about before we pressed record, like right when we got on this call and you asked me that question or you said you put that question in there because you were like, I don't know that I've ever really experienced it. And I just think that's so important because I to to name because I think that not everyone has experienced it and that's okay and there's nothing wrong with how we're moving through life. And then some of us have either dealt with like really tragic life experiences or are really and or are really deep feelers. And so, you know, there's like a broad range on the emotional spectrum. And I'm not a grief expert <laughs> by any means. I have my own experience of it um, and I felt it deeply. So I just want to preface it by saying I believe it to be really personal. And my experience of it is that it can be quite consuming. Um, it's and it, it's like sorrow. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's depression. It's like a, a really deep amalgamation of a lot of things. And also I feel like layered in there are a lot of unanswerable questions. And also underneath it all, like the bedrock of it is deep care. Because whatever you're grieving is something that you probably no longer have that you really cared about. And so there's love, there's, you know, like there's so many things in there. But I experience it as like a deep ache and a mystery and like not knowing how to how to sometimes proceed forward in life, um, how to just like, you know, get my shit together and keep going. But it's different than depression and that I think Liz Gilbert kind of calls says depression can be like a big wet towel where you just are like heavy. You can't really move. But grief is almost like nebulous and swirling and nonlinear. Sometimes it'll be like really sad and you'll just be like, at least when Ryan died, I would just have these spells of like just racking sobs on the couch. And then I'd like pull myself out of it, go skiing or something. And this, it would get less and less frequent. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I'm like progressing along this grief line and I'm healing. And then out of nowhere, sometimes, oh, I just get hit again and I'd have a really low week. And so my experience of grief is it feels kind of the ways I experienced it. Um, and it's nonlinear. And it's when I feel like when you're experiencing it, it's unmistakable. Is what I would say. Um, and... Yeah, it's deeply, deeply personal. And so maybe just at, again, trying to get underneath this term, it is something probably, maybe always, it has to do with a loss or a sense of loss of something that you care a lot about. So loss and care or loss and love the love of something and its loss. I don't know if that gets us to a complete definition of like the the mechanisms of grief, right? Not talking about how that then um, manifests itself, but but maybe that gets us a large bit of the way there. There is something we love or it matters to us a lot or we care deeply about and there is a loss there. And that is then at the root of a bunch of emotional responses, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. That lines up with me. Okay. Anything else we should say on that front or do we start 
moving into some of the many very good questions that were submitted to us along these lines. Well, I think something that comes up is, you know, you had put, I don't remember if it was in the reference document that we were using or if it was outside of that, but you had said, why is it something that you wanted to talk about now? And um, so I just wanted to speak to that because the reason why I put it in there is I just know a lot of people right now that recently had a parent die. Um, I also know people that have recently lost like other close people, but there's been this interesting theme around parents that have been coming up. I just led a retreat with my friend, Jenny Muir, you know, in the desert in September and like half of the applicants said they lost a parent. And sometimes when I just notice these things come into my life, it's almost like, you know, I'm like, okay, there's grief around loss, there's death, there's parents, but also just in the collective, in my friends, there's like a lot of big life events that people are really sad about, like divorces or, um, so that was why I brought it up is it's something that I notice people going through a lot, especially like, yeah, loss of loved ones right now. But, and then uh, obviously also something I just wanted to briefly touch on was, you know, these like massive world events that are happening in the conflict in the Middle East. And, you know, without going into that, I think it's safe to say that there's a lot of collective grief happening around that for many reasons. And so, yeah, I just thought it would be, it's a helpful time to just talk about like, how do we helpful, how, what's a helpful way that we can contextualize grief and use it to help us or, you know, deal with it to have it not get in the way of who we want to be and how to, how we want to contribute to society or et cetera, et cetera. So that's the why. Yeah. And one thing I want to say, just because you had said that I had told you, like, I'm not sure. I mean, I've had a couple of like virtually every person who has made it to adulthood and maybe didn't need to make it to adulthood. There have been some moments of acute pain, right? And an acute sense of loss. I think that in those personal moments for me, what I hadn't actually sat down and done is bothered to define, is this grief? Is grief something different than just mourning the loss of something? And so that's kind of where that came from. But by no means, I don't want to leave anybody with the opinion of like, wow, oh, he's just, there's never been any loss or like any sense of mourning something. Um, and one of what are the things related to that, since you brought up depression, that has me thinking a little bit about Soren Kierkegaard. And when Kierkegaard is talking about anxiety, which he sort of very famously in philosophy circles wrote about anxiety. One of the key things he says as a defining characteristic of anxiety is that it doesn't actually point to anything in particular. So in the case of anxiety, you have these feelings that might manifest itself as something like depression. It might manifest itself as complete sleeplessness or uh, a nervous energy. But according to Kierkegaard, you can't actually pinpoint what in fact the source of that anxiety is. And with what we're saying so far, at least with grief, I'd say that's kind of the opposite, right? Where we do have these kind of clear things that we can point to. A horrific situation happening 
globally, right? The loss of a parent, the loss of a pet, the loss of a loved one, right? So again, just sorry, maybe this is only for my benefit, to ju- but just to help people get maybe a little bit clearer on, well, okay, what is the difference between grief and depression and anxiety? I think this this that actually might be a little bit helpful in terms of having somebody identify what is it in fact that I might be feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't know that it's so important that we name what it is that we're feeling. Sometimes I think we get in our head and we, we feel like we need to attach stories to what it is that we're feeling. Sometimes that's helpful, but sometimes the mind isn't helpful. Like sometimes we can think our way out of problems, but sometimes we just have to feel it all the way through. And so this is my perspective. Um, but you know, like when I, and I would say it's also the perspective of a lot of people kind of in the in general healing industry to just <laughs> generally stereotype. But, um, you know, if we're stuck on a feeling, let's say, and we're just like, oh, I'm just so freaking sad and I can't figure out what's going on. Um, I feel like depression is like a lengthened state where like it's... I, I'm sure there's better definitions, but I'm just for this context of this conversation, you know, depression is like a really, really long time and maybe it's affecting, yeah, your sleep or your ability to get stuff done. I mean, in the period, I've only been depressed twice and it was like, I could barely take a shower. Like the smallest task felt like insurmountable. It was crazy. And your will to live is just like almost non-existent. It's a dark and scary place to be. Um, grief. I don't know. I think it's very personal, um, to people, but I, what I want to say is like when dealing with big emotions for me, like I'm a big feeler (laughs) um, and I, I have to sit with them all the way through. And sometimes if I'm like, well, am I feeling like this because I gave up skiing or I'm scared about the winter on skiing again, or am I feeling like this because you know, the conflict that my parents are in or whatever, uh, it's not so helpful sometimes is just be like, wow, I feel like garbage. I feel really sad. And to just sit in that and, you know, if I try not to numb it out, but to like cry if I need to, or like move it by getting some exercise, you know, just like cycling it through whatever feels like I'm not running from it, but I'm sitting with it and letting it move through. Cause the half-life of emotions is actually short when we're really present to it. And Sam Harris, who has a really great meditation app called Waking Up, um, he has some great meditations around the half-life of emotions and like queuing up people that annoy you or queuing up really sad memories and just sitting with it and feeling the feeling fade. Um, There's another really great book called Body Keeps the Score, and it's really defined a lot of, you know, how we think of trauma work and perceived, you know, that storing trauma in our body, actually, our body remembers these events that happen and it keeps it in there. And so just letting the feelings flow through, uh, and not just being like, I can't feel like that. Or why am I feeling like that? And trying to overanalyze them. So I guess going way back to your question of around, like, how do I know what it is that I'm feeling or why I'm feeling this way? I think if you're like, wow, I have been like unable to get off the couch and really sad and it's inhibiting my life. Like then I think maybe start looking for other um, other things and feeling it all the way through. But if you're experiencing sadness or anguish or pain or whatever 
allowing yourself to sit with it and not attach a story to it and just feel it and do whatever you got to do in the moment. Um, that's what I would say is actually more important. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think my question was just a bit more about, can we identify the thing? And I think what you're saying is, well, maybe, maybe that isn't the, well, it's certainly not the only question and it might not be the most important question. Right. But I think sometimes to try to identify, right? Like what is going on with me? Mm-hmm. I think we usually have a pretty good idea. You know, I think we usually are, have a pretty good idea of like, wow, I, this breakup is still really messing me up. Or I just like, man, my dad's death. Like, I just don't know how to keep going in the same way or whatever. And then I guess why I spoke to spoke to feeling those feelings in the way that I did is because sometimes, like I said, grief isn't linear and out of nowhere, like uh, for example, on sea bear, I'd be like having a great day. And then like something would kind of start to happen. And then I would just get in this funk and I would start to feel really bad and weird and sad. I'm like, what's going on? And it, and a lot of times I was like, Oh, you know, I think I'm still just kind of grieving, like letting go of being the skier. And everything that that life entailed. It was so much. People, places, you know. So sometimes I would know, like, oh, this is attributed to skiing. Sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I'd just start feeling it. And in those cases, like, sometimes story attaching was helpful and sometimes it wasn't. Next question. My question, actually. And then we'll get to all the other good ones. But do you think there is such a thing as healthy grieving? versus unhealthy grieving or unhelpful grieving? What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a great question. Um, I want to reference another podcast in here. Um, It was an episode I heard on We Can Do Hard Things, like Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and um, Glennon's sister. They interviewed Liz Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And I really love that book. I really love Liz Gilbert. Her and Brene Brown are like two of my most favorite public figures. And Liz just has a really great way of speaking to her partner, Raya, Raya died of cancer. And, uh, so she was speaking, she kind of went out of the public sphere for a while to deal with it. And so I recommend listening to that podcast, anyone here. And I I gave it a listen this morning. because I'm like, I know I'm going to reference that. I better make sure I know what I'm referencing, but in it, She says something that really stuck with me, and she said, Liz Gilbert said, I don't think that there's a wrong way to grieve, and everyone does it differently, and sometimes we just have to do what we have to do to get through. It might look like getting with another person right away, you know, or she was like, don't judge people for how they're dealing with their grief. And I think that's really hard for us to do. Like from the outside, it's easy to be like, oh, well, if you just, you know, took some time to be alone, then, you know, you'd be able to process it and move on better. And while, yes, that might be true, like that might not be the reality for that person right then. So I think there's a level of grace and compassion that we can offer other people and also offer ourselves in just being like, I'm just doing the best I can. And yes, perhaps are there more like fast or productive ways, like facing it head on or sitting with it all the time. Like, yeah, but sometimes it's around the worst loss you've ever faced and you don't know how to keep going and you just got to get through. And hopefully it's not something that's like super self-destructive. I think that would be the one red flag, but, um, you know, 
yeah, it's the often, you know, grief is accompanying the toughest things that anyone have ever gone through in their life. So Liz asked, do you angel have a grief practice or ritual you do? What's something that helps you meet your grief? Yeah. Um, well, I would say number one is time in nature and actually time alone, uh, to be with myself. Cause it's like a repair that's happening of you, whoever, whatever might be gone in your sort of cosmic relationship with that, if you will. And nature is just like the best healing balm for anything, I believe. And especially in solitude, it's like, it's easy to feel things. It's easier to get clear. Um, so that's a big one. Nature, time alone in nature. And I'm actually curious, like sitting still, walking, mountain biking. Like we, we actually end up talking about this or I have talked about this quite a bit where I think walking in nature is extremely different, at least for me, than running trail running than mountain biking. And I'm not saying that by no means am I saying that, yeah, and everybody probably chops it up the same way I do, but I experience those things very differently. And I think part of it is, you know, mountain biking, especially around here in Crested Butte, we're pedaling up at 10,000 feet. Like it's generally pretty tough. Like, so that's not when I find myself at my clearest, most cogent processing. Like, walks is almost like doing drugs for me, right? Like, because I'm not exerting around a downhill mountain bike. It's like, yeah, don't hit that rock. Don't hit that tree. But on a, on a, on a mellow walk, ideas are popping and processing is firing, right? So tell me just a little bit more for you. Like what, what does it look like when you are quote unquote out in nature? Mm -hmm. I usually like to do a little bit of walking movement and then I like to find a place and sit and alternate between the two unless I find a really dope spot and I'm like oh yeah this tree is I'm feeling this tree and this tree is feeling me <laughs> let's go um or this rock I love trees and rocks a lot um so yeah I totally agree with you and you know in I think I've talked before about Ayurveda um and you know I spent a lot of years studying it and it was really helpful for my own healing of some adrenal stuff and um in Ayurveda, they say that being out in nature is the first most important healing component of healing from any illness as well, healing from anything. And that, yeah, it's, it has to be in order to receive the full benefit. It's more of a passive activity. And so I think when we're mountain biking, it's really great. And I mean, like I'm all for it, right? Like healthy exercise, all of that, but I totally agree with what you're saying. It's, it's a different experience. And so, um, you know, you can have both or whatever, do both, do you? Um, but for me, like the, I need to all really be also having that passive experience. And maybe this is, maybe this is something worth saying to this particular audience of listeners, right? Is that you and I know a lot of people who are always on their bike. They're always pinning it up a skin track or skiing hard in bounds or et cetera, et cetera. And while we just got done appropriately saying like, don't judge anybody for how they are 
processing things unless you are seeing self-destructive behavior. I do think sometimes, again, for what is, I would argue we probably have a a very active audience if you put it up against the number of sort of other podcasts out there or something. And sometimes going hard on that mountain bike or getting after it for dawn patrols and pinning it uphill, that actually can become a way to not try to deal with anything or not try to deal fully with certain things that we're going through. And I, again, no judgment whatsoever, but I, it might just be worth saying in case somebody out there is like, maybe that's, maybe that's a bit of me, or maybe I need to examine whether I need a few more of those passive still moments versus going hard and getting after it and doing super cool things outside. Yeah. I mean, I, I just love that. Um, the, that Joseph Campbell quote, I, I know that I have mentioned it before, but the cave you fear to enter holds the answers you seek. And I would say if you've been avoiding doing something, there might be something there for you. <laughs> I just had a client come and stay with me for a four day immersion here. And he's a doer. He's a super active guy. And when he was here, I was like, you know, kind of rolling out some options, trying to feel what felt like the best thing. And he was like, you know, I feel like I'm always moving and I don't want to sit here, but I feel like I, we should just sit this whole time. And so we did, and it was really great. And he got to some really, really deep stuff and it was very profound and transformative for him. So I think having both is good, right? Like helping our bodies and our brain chemistry out by moving, but especially if we've been avoiding sitting or it makes us really uncomfortable, there might be something there for us. T. Evans asked, how do you go about turning grief into growth and embrace what's ahead versus it leaving a void and leaving you untethered? I like that. How do you go about turning grief into growth? I like that question a lot too. I mean, that's the question, right? (laughs) Well, I don't know. There's so many great questions around this topic, but I, I guess my answer to it would be, or my thoughts on it is that, uh, I think being able to frame it in a way that is helpful for you, um, is the first start. There's like, uh, I don't necessarily think that life is fair. I don't think that, um, there's a reason that everything happens. I mean, I say that a lot. Sometimes it makes me feel better about stuff. So it's like a helpful worldview, but I don't always necessarily think that's always the case. I think sometimes shit happens. Um, but I do have an underlying belief that we can make something from everything and that our biggest pressures and our biggest challenges are like what form the diamonds inside of us, you know, and they're the things that hone the tools. They're the things that hone our strengths. And so it's hard sometimes when you're in the depth of grief and loss or just like not really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel of how this can serve you. It's easy to say on the outside, like, oh, well, you know, you're going to be stronger. But like sometimes that just falls flat when you're in the middle of it. But I do believe just as a note of encouragement for anyone listening who is experiencing that, I do believe there always is a silver lining and it is like these challenges are the most important experiences of our life. Are they fair? I don't necessarily think so. But um, 
when Ryan died, cemented into my being one of his sayings that he also got from his dad, Peter Hawks, was the only two things you have control over are your attitude and your effort. And we also get to choose our worldview in a way that is helpful, a helpful orientation. You know, that's like a choice that we get. Um, how do I want to feel about this experience? It's actually going to help me move through. And my orientation is that I believe that life is happening for me, not to me. And, um, letting myself get lost sometimes, letting myself feel like I'm just freaking sucking at life, letting myself feel like I don't know if I'm ever going to be great or feel good again. Like, I don't know, I guess, There's a component of letting, like you, like you have to let yourself feel it all the way through. Like you have to all the way, all the way. And this is like the work that I've done with, um, a lot of different people. Like when I've been, you know, holding space in some of these retreats and, um, deeper immersions, it's like they come to me because they've had somebody that's died or something big has happened. They haven't found a space to process the grief. And so as we're getting down to the layers and using the tools and breath work and stuff to kind of crack open the shell. A lot of what it is, is just me sitting with them as they start to really feel it and start to get scared and want to pull back and just being like, no, go, go to the bottom, dive to the bottom of the ocean. The waves are coming. You're going to be fine. I've got you like feel it all the way. And it's just a miraculous experience, um, which I have also experienced before. Um, so I think turning grief into growth is like not being afraid of it not letting it rule your life, being able to dive into it, knowing you're going to come out on the other side and having patience and doing what you got to do, but hopefully replacing bad with better and like less self-destructive tendencies, but maybe still like coping or numbing mechanisms if it's got to be a TV show instead of a bottle of whiskey or whatever. I don't know. But I really like the idea of replacing bad with better to get through um, when you feel like you need some kind of coping. Okay, you, I thought you were actually going to use a different word and then you used sort of the opposite of that. You, you were, a few minutes ago, you, I thought you were going to say something about you've got to eventually let go and instead you, you went with you've got to eventually sort of feel it all, feel it all in its depth, which is, which is literally the opposite of sort of letting go. But let's talk about that for a second because... I think that I probably am a bit focused. Something sort of subjectively bad happens or sometimes more objectively bad happens, a big loss. I try to move quickly to that. I've said this before on this podcast, this notion, this mindset that I believe very much in everything is an opportunity. But I am open to the criticism that I try to move there sort of too quickly and I guess what I'm wondering, though, is um, I also, and I think you're kind of the same way, like, I, I feel like I am an optimist about the future. I think it is a big, freaking, interesting world out there, and I am trying to experience that, and I am very grateful for the relationships I have and the rest. Like, I am very forward-looking in those regards. So what happens for a person who maybe is... I don't know what word to use here, struggling to get forward looking again, 
feel guilt about getting forward looking as if we're right. Cause this is a big part of it. You lose a loved one and I'm sitting here talking about, look at how interesting the future is. And a person is either struggling to feel that way or actually feels guilt about feeling that way, right? Moving on. There's maybe a lot there, but like this feeling everything versus letting go and getting back to being a real optimist about all the opportunities in front of us. I really love that you brought that up. Um, and I don't know if you said this or if I was like projecting a interpretation on a sort of a question of being like uh, about your experience of it and like what's the way or how do you determine what your way is. And I, I just think that like your way sounds like it works for you which is awesome. You know, I think it's like, we know if grief is getting in the way or we've got a pretty good idea if we've been stuffing stuff down and not dealing with it, you know, and maybe we'll reach a point in our life. Where we're like, Oh God, maybe I, I guess I should have sat with that deeper, but I would say you'd probably know by now. <laughs> and it sounds like your way is the way. And if you're able to just like surrender and let it go, that's freaking great. Like kudos. And I think the, what, what I'm talking about is when you're struggling to let it go, the way through, the way to be, like, when you feel it all the way, it lets itself go. It's like, it, it does its own thing. And um, I'm really glad you brought the guilt piece in because that is so much a part of almost everyone that I've been in contact with has been feeling guilty for very, for very different reasons, right? But sometimes we use challenging experiences to like reinforce our negative self-narratives and why we're not good enough or why we're not worthy or why we should have showed up better. And, um, you know, I like it showed up in really big ways with um, some of the women on, on the retreat recently and also with my client who just came and stayed with me. And it was like guilt about very, very, very different things, but absolutely crippling. Like the thing that was getting in the way of them being able to process the grief and like let it move. And so it was actually a lot of, a lot of, um, relationship with self and like using these experiences to strengthen our relationship with ourself and, de and deal with self-forgiveness as an aspect of, of that. So I'm really glad that, um, you brought that up. Let me, let me push on this one for a sec. You've mentioned Ryan a couple times yeah. in this conversation. How, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this are pretty familiar with some of those circumstances. Some people probably are not. But how does that go? Because, okay, all right, time to get real honest. You ready? When you start bringing up Ryan, I start thinking about Pete. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I'm like, yo, he's, Pete's a good dude. And you have said that time and time again on this show. And, uh, you know, and I, if I'm sometimes sitting there thinking, how's Pete doing hearing about somebody else? And then I'm also sitting here thinking, I wonder if Angel ever, you know, as she's in this um, relationship with Pete these days, is there a sense of guilt? Is there a sense of, or no, or, or some other term or something, but like, cause I bet there's 
you are not the only person maybe in a, a, a somewhat similar situation here. Mm-hmm. So to recap, how do you like, what's Pete's kind of experience of my process with Ryan? And do I feel guilty about being with Pete or like, what's the situation around that kind of those two themes? A little bit. Yeah. And, and frankly, like if I'm Pete, maybe it's like, you know what? I'm pretty great. And how about we just stay mm. focused on this thing? Mm. That was a while ago. And I'm, I'm completely mm. projecting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like Pete didn't call me and we had yeah. this conversation. Right. But I'm just like, this is, I think, a brass tacks example where some people may be listening to this and they're thinking about whether it is a, a parent they lost, whether it mm-hmm. is a partner they mm-hmm. lost, et cetera. And like, trying to respect the past or versus let go of the mm-hmm. past um, versus feel not feel guilty about moving on. There's a lot, there's a lot of things here that I am. I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm not articulating I'm following you. clearly. Yeah. Um, well, I'm really, I think that's a really great. Uh, yeah. So I guess to prep really great, like inquiry with multifaceted questions in there. And, um, I, I guess I'll preface it really quick for anyone listening who doesn't know the story. When I was 20, when I was 20, uh, my boyfriend at the time, Ryan Hawks, died in a skiing accident in a competition at Kirkwood. I was there for it. I went to the hospital after he got life flighted. I was there when he died. And um, I bring him up a lot in these conversations because in the same way that I bring up um, when I've learned something from my mentor, Kim, or my friend, Ginny, or... Um, my Ayurvedic teacher, Sam, it's like it, uh, he's a teacher for me and he's also still a friend. Like I learned so much from him and part of the heartbreak was that I thought he was the one. And when he died, I was like, so devastated. (laughs) I was like, there it goes. I'm never going to find love again. And something, I had this really interesting conversation with, um, a medium right after he died. Cause he died. And then I drove to Salt Lake that next day and I had a competition at Snowbird that I had to get home for. And so I called this woman who, and who I knew, and I would never had anything like this before. Right. I'm like, had never really, this wasn't my cup of tea, let's say. But she was like, oh my gosh, Ryan has been waiting to talk to you. And uh, he's like, he's got some stuff he wants to say. And she started listing all of these inside jokes that Ryan and I had that there was no way she could have known stuff about Mary Poppins and how if I missed him, I could send a letter in the fireplace. Like it was wild. And that started to crack open my view of like, there's a lot more going on in the universe and with our consciousness than we have any idea about. So it was the beginning of my spiritual awakening. And my processing of death with Ryan taught me, informed so much about my life. And I really view him as like an ally and a teacher. And so I bring him up not as like a past relationship. I mean, sometimes it is, but there's not the romantic ties there. I also still talk about like my exes or stories from my ex-boyfriend Jeff, Jeff, when we were in Alaska and, um, and to Pete's credit, I think he can feel, it's not like I'm pining for this relationship that I didn't have anymore. It's more of like this homage to 
this being and this person that taught me so much, um, that I still have crazy experiences with. Like we, um, we're on the, we're in the San Blas Islands on that magical trip I was telling you about. Um, we were laying on the, on the boat. We had had this really, really magical day, like one of the most magical days we've ever had together. And we were lying in the cockpit looking up at the stars. And I forget how Ryan came up, but we started talking about him. And I was like telling Pete how, um, I used to ask Ryan for shooting stars. And then I realized it was like really selfish and a big ask, but he always used to deliver. And right as I said that, and I was like, I realized it was kind of a big ask, this giant, like giant shooting star streaked across the sky, like biggest one I'd seen in years, right at that moment. And Pete was just like, what's up, Bri? And we just had this like little toast together. And, uh, it's, you know, Pete really understands how big of an impact Ryan has had in my life and, um, loves him for it. You know, just like you would love like a brother who passed away, you know, he just happened to be my boyfriend. And so to come full circle, what has been so awesome about being with Pete is like, um, something the medium also told me is Ryan really wants you to know that part of the part of what your guys' relationship was here for was to let you know what it would feel like to truly be loved and to not settle for anything less than that because now you know what it feels like. And when I met Pete, it was like, oh my God, this, this is it. And again, so yeah, like I know from Pete's experience, there's no hard feelings. It's like he really loves the role Ryan has had in my life. And there'll be times when something will happen. A hawk will like land on our car thing and he'll be like, what's up, Ryan? You know? So anyways, that was a long winded answer. Um, did it cover the bases? Yeah, I think it does answer. And, and actually, if you want a little bit of a recap here, Jacob wrote in and asked, does healthy grieving of a loved one feel good and does it ever go away? And so maybe some of the thoughts you just shared um, are relevant to Jacob's question there. Yeah, I mean, I think that answers a lot of it. I guess I would just add um, from my own experience, you know, I had a much shorter relationship with Ryan and I don't think the grief will ever go away for his parents. I didn't think it was going to go away for me. It certainly didn't feel like that. I would catch myself five years later, just all of a sudden in tears on the floor again and being like, oh man, this fucking sucks. But since then, I, at some point, maybe like eight years along the road, it just transitioned into feeling a profound connection with him in ways that are difficult to describe. I imagine I'll feel the same connection when I lose somebody else, it's really close to me, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, but I would say when you allow yourself to dive into the grief, it feels good in a weird way because avoiding it feels bad. And when you go there, you're like, Oh, it actually like, there's this weird sort of feeling good. Um, and yes, as far as does it ever go away? I think for me, it has with Ryan, and I didn't think it would, but I think that that is also really personal and depends on the relationship. And these things can evolve, the experience of them and the rest, I, I take it. But the part, Jacob, the interesting part of that question to me is, does healthy grieving of a loved one feel good? And I would assume the answer is yeah, probably in the sense that you're remembering someone you really loved and cared about. And in that sense, like 
grieving is we associate with sort of pain and all that. And yet this, those feelings that bring you back to remembering how great this individual was, how much they meant to you. I mean, that's something I am trying to do a better and better job of is to, before people die, you know, with, with your friends and the rest, make sure they know how much you mean to them. But people who have, that we have lost, to have those memories again of the people that played such an important role in our lives, that is a positive thing, even if it does kind of come with that that pain of loss still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I would say like my experience of it, it's not the remembering of them that feels good. It's actually the like... I'm trying to think of a of a an, an analogy cuz that's sort of in alignment with like a physical pain. It's almost like um when you are, are avoiding working out or something and your body feels like garbage and then you start to work out and it really hurts, but there's also this feeling where you're like, "Ugh, I'm doing it." And it actually like I kind of it hurts, but it also hurts good. It's sort of like a similar thing with that when I when you dive into it it's like you're definitely not experiencing like a fond or at least for me I don't experience like a fondness of them as I'm calling up these memories and like feeling just like so sad it's like this crying and the like release that feels good yeah that's my experience as as we're as we're noticing which I love about this conversation is it's like the human experience and how we process it is wildly different, Hmm. you know? Hmm. Kind of a bit of a joint question. They're not the same question, but, but we're going to kind of do two together and get your thoughts. Molly asked, how can you go about being there for someone who is experiencing grief when they don't reach out? I think that's a great question. On a bit of a different angle, Jess asks, how do you support someone who is grieving when you yourself might also be grieving? So yeah, thoughts on either or both of those things? Um, They're really great questions. And I guess uh, I think, you know, the, in answer to both of them, like love and care, it's, it sounds simple, but checking in. And I think, I guess to address like Molly's question of, you know, when someone isn't reaching out, how do you support them? It's just like letting them know you care. Um, I think it depends on the person, but oftentimes, like sometimes if, if people are truly grieving, they're probably not afraid to talk about what it is that they're going for, going through. But I think sometimes people are kind of avoiding it. And so that's when you get the like, uh, you're scared of bringing something up because they're not sitting with it themselves. But if someone is, is sitting with it, like at least my experience of it with my friends or myself is, you know, around, especially around death or whatever, it's like our culture has this huge taboo around death. And um, when you experience somebody close to you die, like it's, you want to talk about it. You want to figure out how to make sense of it. And the like taboo and people avoiding it and being scared of talking about it makes it harder at least was my experience, is the experience of a lot of people I know. And so I think just 
maybe checking in and being like, does it make you uncomfortable if I ask you directly about this stuff? Or is it something that you would rather not, you know, me talk about, um, would be a good place to start to gauge someone's comfort level. And my guess is generally being direct and just being like, Hey, how are you doing with this thing? Or I'm thinking about you with this thing, you know, like my friend, Martha, her dad just died. And I just sent her a text. I'm like, just sending so much love to you and your dad thinking about you, you know, I'm here. And I think that goes into when people don't reach out, like, how do you support them? And they might need to be in a hermit period and they might not want to have any expectations. Sometimes it's just like hard to function and, you know, do the laundry. And when you have to be social or respond to texts, it can feel like a lot of pressure. And so I think just letting the person know that we're sending them love and we're there for them and we don't need anything from them. But if they do need anything, you know, to let us know is one way to go about it because we have to let people find their own way with it. But offering love and care, I think, is great always. And I think how to how to support someone, Jess's question of how to support someone who's grieving when you yourself are also grieving, um, that's really interesting. Like we mentioned before, people grieve in such different ways. Um, like my friend Rachel uh, had one of her best friends, Sally, died. And the there was like this really close group of five of them. And how everyone dealt with it was so different. Some people didn't want to talk about it at all. Some people wanted to pretend like she was never there. Some people wanted to talk about her memories all of the time. And um, so I think if there's a way you can sit with it collectively together in a way that feels good and you can find a way to do that, that's so great and can be so helpful and so healing. Like sharing photos, talking about stories. I don't know what the grief is about, but... Um, I think that same thing that I was talking about, like offering love, support, saying you're there and also being really attuned to what it is that you need, you know, like just because someone else is grieving, um, doesn't make their grief more important or more necessary than yours. And so making sure you're not overextending yourself to take care of someone else's grief, like really make sure you're meeting yourself all the way first is also what I would say to that. Cause I think uh, a lot of people, myself very much included tend to be like, well, I'm tough. I can handle it. Like, yeah, this sucks, but I'm going to show up for so-and-so. And I miss that. Like, actually, I don't really want to do that. And I actually need to like tend to, to me first. So, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Here's a hard one. Stephanie asks, how do you deal with being alone in your grief? Like, I'm so young, I don't know many people my age that have experienced grief. None of my close friends. And I lost my brother. Tough, right? We're talking about people coming together and how to support each other. And Stephanie's question is like, what if you do feel like you're living in a world where you are grieving and the people around you are not attuned to that? They're not asking, reaching out. Yeah. Ugh. I'm sorry, Stephanie. That freaking sucks. Um, I don't have a great answer. Um, I would, what I would say is having someone that you can bring this to is helpful. Like I've always worked with a healer of some sort. Sometimes it's an acupuncturist. Sometimes it's 
um, a therapist. Um, you know, I've been working with my co-conspirator, as she calls herself, my mentor, Kim, for seven years. And what they do for me is they hold a pole of, of someone that I do get to bring this with. And it, like, it doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, the alone feeling in your community and in your friend group. And that just is tough. Um, and it won't last forever. At some point you'll meet someone that has also been there and that'll, that might forge a really strong connection. And in the meantime, I think for dealing with it, yeah, finding a healer would be good. Like I said, it can even be an acupuncturist. Cause when you go in there and they're like, all right, what are you dealing with? You know, it's a mind, body, spirit thing. You can be like, I just lost my brother. I don't know what to do. I'm shut down. This is what I'm feeling in my body. This is what I'm experiencing emotionally. And just someone that you're regularly seeing and checking in with about it. And I know people are kind of averse to therapy. It might even be, there's some awesome, you know, the like quote unquote life coach industry is flooded, but there's really great people out there doing amazing stuff. And so I encourage you to just follow some of your curiosities or find a person that can that you can sh- like be in that with. We don't know how old Stephanie is, but one of the things I think about too, if, you know, if it, I'm thinking about, you know, if you're in elementary school or middle school or even high school, that as I think about, you know, my time in those, those seasons of life, Sometimes my best friends happen to be the people who were also on the football or basketball team, right? Or for other people, it's the people who are on the ski team. And what what you learn the older you get is that's great to, you know, be friends with people who have shared interests and passions, but they might not end up being your people. And, you know, finding those individuals who are looking to have deeper conversations who are just better at asking how you're doing and hopefully you are doing the same. So I'm sure we will have some quite young listeners to this and maybe I'll just use this as an opportunity to like ask yourself in your friends group, like that's great if you all are on the ski team together, but do you need to find and foster some friendships beyond that till you are connecting in a more meaningful and deeper way with some folks. And by all means, I would strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, No reason to wait and kind of maybe figure that out in your twenties or thirties or something. Yeah. And I, I love, I really love that, Jonathan. I love that a lot. Um, And I guess I would also add to that if you're kind of in that space, uh, just think like, think of, go through the ringer in your head of, of like, who do I think could hold this? Like, is it a fit? Is it one of my favorite family friends? You know, is it like my aunt or my uncle, or is it that coach or is it the older athlete? Or like, if there's, sometimes we just meet these people that are bright lights and also deep and solid. And, uh, yeah, I think if there's anyone that's coming to mind and you don't, you don't feel like that with any of the people your age or in your group. If there's somebody else like that, you know, having the courage to reach out and be like, Hey, this is where I'm at. And I was just hoping to connect, um, 
can be very, very powerful. It's also, like I said, requires courage. It's not an easy way to do, to do it, but it's, it's so fruitful. So Leah asks, how do you navigate an identity crisis that's triggered by grief along the lines of who am I without him here? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting the ways that we attach our identity to external things, right? The things we do for work, the things we do for our hobby, um, also who we are in maybe a really important relationship. And it's wild when we step, when we parse ourselves out and we're like, okay, now what, now who am I? I mean, I really relate to it, you know, going through skiing. Um, that was my entire life. And yeah, like a lot of questions when I was like, okay, well, who am I without skiing? And I think, especially, I don't know if it's from, um, a breakup or of a romantic relationship or a loss of someone close. Um, so without knowing like the deeper details, I think talking about the identity crisis piece is going within, like I have talked about a million times on this podcast, like not being afraid to feel it, being in nature, but just being like, who am I and what do I want? Like, what do I care about? What do I want to fill my time with? Right. Um, I recommend, uh, Leah, I recommend listening to that episode. We can do hard things. Episode 95 with Liz Gilbert. Um, I think that'd be a really helpful one for you. But yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, I don't have a great answer. I think it's just reforging who you are and reconnecting to it and knowing that we are not the things we do. We are not, although we are shaped by, we are not the people that we're in relationship with. We are something completely different that can never be stripped away from us completely. It's just molded in how it shows itself. And um, it's easy for me to say that now because I'm kind of starting to finally feel like I know who I am on the other side of skiing, but it's been a long process. And there was times, yeah, when I would just feel so sad and I'd be like, oh, I just feel lost. I don't know where I'm going. I don't have answers. I'm stressed about money or, you know, like, and those things are all super real and they pass. Sometimes they feel like they're never going to end, but they always pass. So I hope that was helpful. Yeah, my my thought on that, which I, for me, this one feels less like from personal experience, but I, I think this is how I would probably try to answer it. The, so talking about an identity crisis triggered by a loss, right? Because it says, "Who am I without him here?" And I think maybe the answer is, and you spoke to this talking about Ryan, like you think of that person, you think of what that person taught you, you think of what that person showed you, you think about what that person maybe taught you to value. And I think that maybe it becomes part of, you know, uh, sort of a life compass going forward, right? And by the way, I do this a lot. I found myself doing it this morning, thinking there's a kind of a fork in the road decision, you know, I was thinking about, and it was like, what would my friends, now they happen, the friends I had in mind happened to be alive. But if I had lost somebody, I think the exercise would have been the same. What advice would that person be giving me on this particular issue or front? And I think that 
it's actually kind of an amazing thing. We get to do that for the rest of our days, right? You know, taking stock of um, getting a consensus among your most trusted people. And whether those people are alive or whether they're people we've lost, we still get to do that. So I understand the the identity crisis, but as you've said, Angel, like forging that new identity, maybe thinking about, well, I'm thinking about door A, B, or C. What would this person I lost, how would, the, how would he advise me? And um, there's actually, I think, massive value and worth in that. And um, yeah, maybe maybe not the most amazing answer, but maybe an actual portion that um, that again, I like I said, I found myself sort of doing that this morning uh, in a similar way to still try to figure out and navigate like life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say we yeah we know if that's a helpful context or if we actually are trying to figure out how to separate ourselves, right? Like she, like I can't tell from the question if it's one of the two. Um, but for sure, like, yeah, I would have moments when I was just like, I don't even know what to do next. I'd be like, well, what would Ryan tell me? (laughs) He'd be like, he'd be like, well, I don't want you to be sad. I want you to be skiing. And you know, I don't want you to be crying on the couch for me. And I'm like, right, I'm crying on the couch because it's my own experience and I got to be good, whatever, make sense of it. But getting off the couch would be what Ryan would encourage me to do. And yeah, there was the times when it was so insanely helpful. And so I'd say, yeah, anytime that feels like a helpful question, like love that you brought that up. And I, and, and just to be clear, I do think you're right. I I was reading it, the version I read it as, but this could also be somebody who has effectively lost themselves in a relationship. Right. And so if that person's gone, they are in a moment of, I don't know who I am now. And then I think where you started becomes the more relevant port. So it can kind of go in one or two ways, but um, yeah. Um, and yours might be the harder version of, of things. Yeah. Forging a new identity. So let's do one more kind of a final question that I thought would be a good place for us to end because it might give us a chance to sort of recap and summarize a little bit of what we've been talking about here. But Amanda asks, how can we support someone who is grieving? Um, So what are things that we can leave people with as they maybe are a bit more sensitive to this, or that might be me, but what would you say kind of final thoughts on how can we, how should we support someone who is grieving? Um, yeah, I guess my first thought is to give them compassion and like try and refrain from judging their process of how they're dealing with it as much as possible and just know in our own beings that they're doing the best that they can. And from that place, right, like offering them care, checking in, knowing that you don't need anything from them, offering your admiration, um, like you know, the true, this is what I see in you. This is why I think you're great. Or, um, and also maybe it looks like just helping out with meals or I don't know what, like it's, it's individual, but figuring out like the tangible ways of, is there something that I could help in with like the third, three dimensional day to day in their lives? 
But I think it's on the emotional component, like offering that love, checking in. I think I already kind of mentioned it earlier, but checking in on being like, hey, how comfortable, like, how comfortable are you with me directly addressing this stuff? Do you like, does it feel good when I check in with you directly about it? Or does it make you uncomfortable? And kind of figuring out where they stand on it. And yeah, just love, support, not needing anything. Um, yeah, affirmations, reminders, like reminding them of the light while also, you know, not, I think a, a couple big things that we can shy away from are judging their process, right? Also, um, like making it wrong or telling them like sometimes, sometimes it's helpful to be like, you know, things are going to be okay, but sometimes it can also feel invalidating and to just like let the, let the grief take its time. Everyone's grief is different. It's not linear. And so just being patient and not invalidating it, but, but by actually validating it, like, so, you know, we all, I think as humans, we have this experience where you're like frustrated about something or sad about something and the other person's trying to fix it or whatever. When really, if they just come and sit down next to you and are just like, man, that freaking sucks. I'm so sorry. And that's all they say. And they're just like, I love you. And you're like, ah, I feel a little bit better. So the empathy I think is like really, really important. I I love that too. The don't necessarily rush in to say it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Like you're, you're, you're going to do great. Like the fix it prematurely. But, but more than anything about that, I love the idea of just sitting there with them, being with them and Maybe that is actually literally sitting in silence and maybe it's watching a really dumb movie, but just to be there. And you've already said, you asked like, uh, you know, how are you doing? Does it feel good to, to go directly and talk about some of this right now? And if the answer is no, maybe what we need to learn to do is maybe quickly try, like, what if I just show up and I'm literally with that person and I'm not put, I'm not pressing and I've made it clear I'm ready to talk if and when they're ready, but otherwise I'll just be here. There's something I think really profound in that actually. Um, and, uh, and if that's sitting in silence or giving them a long hug and then watching the dumb movie or having a kitchen dance party or whatever it might be, I suspect that in some of those cases, rather than the the being there, rather than not being there or not checking in. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, sometimes people do need some alone time and need to hermit, don't want to hang out. And that's great. And that's fine. And also, I love what you said and just pure presence. You know, it's like the it's as a society, generally, it's like, we do feel like we want to fix it. We want to take away the pain, but the, like the power, like the people who are really good at just sitting with you in the darkness and just like not making it go away, but just being like, yep, this really sucks. And I'm here. Like that is so powerful and it makes us feel less alone in our experience. And that is so healing. So yeah, I really love that you brought that up. Well, Angel, I think we dove pretty deep (laughs) and I'm really glad that you kind of pushed a few times in our 
conversations over the last week or two that like, no, this, this would be a good uh, conversation to have. I'm really, I'm really glad we did. And I hope we offered something here at some moment in this conversation to, to help uh, what one of the many people who are hurting uh, right now or will be hurting soon. That's the way this world works. And um, uh, I really do appreciate everybody who wrote in with questions. And um, I also really hope that just as a community, we can do a bit better at understanding what people are going through. Hopefully we can be a bit more empathetic and um, do the best we can to um, uh, be there uh, for our loved ones and friends and people in our community. And maybe someday when it's our turn and we're the ones experiencing grief, they will uh, be, be there for us. So good things to talk about, important things to talk about. And I very much, as always, Angel, appreciate the time. Yeah. Yeah. And just to echo what you said, thank you so much to everyone who submitted the questions and super appreciated. And yeah, thanks, Jonathan, for the the platform to jump into the deep end. (laughs) No kiddie pools. No kiddie pools around here. No kiddie pools. Man, Angel will not let me ever just uh, dip a toe into the kiddie pool. Floaties are coming off, Jonathan. So, yeah, it is it is really funny because it is several of these episodes where we've before we hit the record button, I'm like, wow, this is really what we're doing this week. And you're like, dude, it's literally called deep dives. And, and so he's we like, will, do you uh, feel ready? Are you good to talk about? I'm like, are you yeah, good? this is what it's all about. This is my jam. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things we all love about you. And so thank you for offering your perspective on these things, Angel. And um Good luck making music, Thanks. making more bad art. Thanks. I hope, as you said, you know, let's let's that art we know is going to get you know slightly better, right? That's what you said was the goal. Let's yep. do a little bit better than bad, and and yep. uh, I can't I can't wait to see where that whole journey takes you. So <laughs> thanks. Yeah, have fun with that, and we will talk to you real soon, Angel. Thanks. Ciao for now. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Angel for a great conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. And again, for all of the fantastic questions. Until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.